0: Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The (sighs) Boar's Nest. in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785 Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785 Hey, it's Bobby Bones. You know, sometimes we want to feature episodes that maybe if you're a new listener, if you're a new subscriber, you didn't hear back in the day. We have done hundreds and hundreds of these, and sometimes it's hard to scroll back and find really good ones. So that's what we're going to do. Back, I mean, a house ago, at least. So years ago, Trisha, you would stop by the house, and It was kind of a walk through her life and career. You know, she stopped by and talked about how she got her start singing in, you know, demo rooms in the 80s. She'd go into a room and there's a microphone. It wasn't a big fancy studio, but she would sing demos and that's how she got her deal. You know, she worked at a record label as a secretary. So all of this. And then obviously uh, background vocals on more than 100 Garth Brooks songs. Then she opened for them and it's a really great story. And at the time, she was promoting her Frank Sinatra tribute album called Let's Be Frank. We talk about that. So, I hope you haven't heard this yet and you hear it and you learn about Trisha Yearwood. And what's cool is a tie into next week's episode. So, next week we'll talk to Leslie Simon, and she is like the general manager of Garth and Trisha's record label now. And she tells the story about their connection and how she ended up working with and for them, and really why they're such great people, Garth and Trisha. So, I think you're going to love next week's episode as well. But here is an old episode. But since it's all about her career, it's evergreen. Here is Trisha Yearwood. All right. Welcome to episode 164 with uh, Trisha Yearwood. What a treat. Thank you very much. What a treat. You brought me um, some Jack Daniels Sinatra Select. I did. Now, you have the, the Frank Sinatra record. And so we'll talk about that in a second. But it's orange.
1: It's it's orange on the packaging because that was Sinatra's favorite color and and you're pretty cool I guess if Jack Daniels does an entire collection of alcohol for you I guess yeah that's I mean I think he's
0: cool. pretty cool anyway
1: I was gonna scratch scratch out his name and put mine but I decided to just leave it for you that way
0: I think you're pretty cool if Trisha Yearwood <laughs> does a record of all your songs more so than if Jack Daniels does well, I'm an waiting alcohol. to
1: be let I'm waiting to do Let's Be Bobby but I'm just oh, you don't you want know. to do that
0: one. <laughs> That's like a FCC fine. That's, that's, that's a whole. That
1: could be my next thing. That's a
0: whole thing. We were. T- so you handed me the alcohol and I said, hey, why don't I just drink this? Um, it'd be my first time ever drinking and I'll just get hammered during the podcast. I'd
1: be so embarrassed to be that person for you. I don't want to be that person.
0: I you. think. And a lot of my friends want to be that person. They want me to get drunk with them because then they have like my, my, my alcohol flower.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I love you, but I don't want your alcohol flour. Yeah, it's not my thing. I've
0: never even heard it called that. I but haven't either. But, but now what a creepy I'm going, alcohol it's term!
1: Totally creepy.
0: I was <laughs> out with a girl. Um,
1: Speaking of alcohol flowers. Well, this is a whole story about oh, me so. drinking
0: because when I drink, people act weird around me. I don't drink, but people are drinking. They'll go, "Ooh, I shouldn't drink around you." So I don't tell anybody that that I don't drink. So I, I fake drink. So I ask the bartender for something virgin-y, and you know put a little it lime looks or, like yeah. it's yeah. So I was with a girl and we went out and ray and bay who um we were, we were having dinner with them and i go to the bathroom and ray tells the girl that i took out oh you know he doesn't drink right and then she starts she's said, i didn't know he told her that and she's been uh-huh. acting totally weird around me yep and that's and what it thought is it was something else she yeah i was like no well, she must know about my rash
1: you must have <laughs> which is another reason yeah, to just course. kind of be what don't you, you deserve a medal because it's really hard I find to be the sober person around a bunch of drunk people because no one who's really drunk understands how drunk they are. Right? So you're if you're the sober person, if you're drunk with them then you don't have to worry about not having patience with anybody because you're drunk too. But if you're sober and everyone else is drunk, but I don't know the
0: difference, right? Well, you just aren't hanging around the right drunks. Maybe so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the difference in me. Like I know the difference in them. Right, right, right. I've never been drunk with the drunks. I only know being with the stupid people, right. like I know, a Friday night if I go out, I'll be with a bunch of stupid people. That's just par for that course. That's just what it's going to be, yeah. So I appreciate that a lot. someone in this house will drink it.
1: Well, that's what I thought. You could serve it. You could serve it to one of your guests.
0: Yeah, or someone will steal it. That's what happens. That might happen. I'll go into my bedroom and I'll come back and Eddie stolen or somebody from the show stolen all the alcohol. I get really nice alcohol sent to me sometimes.
1: Cause you keep alcohol in your bedroom? I mean, is this something? I'll go talk into about? my bedroom like
0: to change clothes or something. I come out in <laughs> oh, any okay, alcohol. All right, has been okay, okay. I feel better and... now. I feel better now. I was concerned. Yeah. What have what you been <laughs> up to all day?
1: I've been doing. I've been talking about this record. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Just kind of doing my thing. We're getting ready to go to St. Louis to do a tailgate, so I've been talking about that. And um,
0: what is an interview day for you? Like a press day? What, what does that consist of? You wake up what time?
1: Today, I, I woke up at seven thirty. So some days it depends on what you're doing. You know, if you're doing one of those big early morning shows where you're hate the crack, yeah, <laughs> I
0: hate those early morning shows. See,
1: I got into the music business to not have to get up early, mm. but then you end up getting up early for stuff. I mean, you get up early three o'clock. Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay to me. I could, I would have to quit my job.
0: You wouldn't though. And I used to think that cause I'm not a morning person. I just, I'm not, it takes me three hours to get to where I'm okay. But you, it's just a, a balance. Like, do I love what I do? Yeah. But do I hate waking up to do it? Yeah. And then as it starts, like now we've kind of I've kind of built something cool. Yeah. So it's like you know if my yeah. worst problem is not getting sleep, I get. That's true. I and got,
1: once you're up, it's okay. It's the getting up for me.
0: But getting up in the dark, I mean, that's it's you every really
1: day for me. you really are a night person because you get up in the middle of the night. That's crazy. I'm a night person anyway. I am too. But I mean, and I am that person. If I have to get up really early, I'm not the person that goes to bed early. I can't do it. I'm just a night person. So I'm just not going to get sleep if I got to get up early.
0: If you're playing a show and you finish at eleven thirty. What time what time is the end of the set usually? Um the whole thing.
1: Usually eleven thirty. Eleven thirty to midnight, something like that.
0: What time do you finally get down?
1: Probably two ish.
0: <sighs> yeah. That's my perfect schedule. <laughs> if I could go to bed if at two lucky. or three and wake up at one PM. Like Yeah, that's, that would be so good. Like that's my my natural life. I was reading a story about that where a lot of jobs not a lot of jobs, but a lot of um, science is saying jobs have, they're like programming people wrong, that everybody's body isn't built for nine to five, that a lot of people's bodies are built for noon to 8 p.m. And that the productivity scale, whenever you find what people do best, they actually work better at the times that their bodies. It makes so much and, and sense. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I mean,
1: I was a, I had a nine to five job when I first moved to town. I was a receptionist at a record label and I had to be at work at nine, and and I worked at a label where there was a guy at the desk. So if I got there at nine oh one, he'd had to sit there an extra hour. So he was really ticked at me if I was ever late. So I was always on time because I didn't want him to be mad at me. And you couldn't leave your desk to even use the restroom without somebody sitting in your chair because you're answering the phones. You're had the cover, you know, you're yeah. the gateway. You know the whole place. And it was really depressing for me. Not because not first of all, I'm, I'm watching people come in every day and do what I wanted to be doing, so that was hard. But secondly, just that structure of this is when you clock in. This is when you clock out. I think pe- some people are made for it, and I think some people aren't, and I don't think I am. I like people who say, oh, it must be so crazy. You just don't ever know what your schedule is going to be. I'm like, it's kind of different every day, but I kind of love that
0: for me. That so, it's consistently different. Like yeah. There's a consistency to to it always being different.
1: Exactly, exactly, and I, I like that. I think I thrive on that. I don't think I would do well. I know I don't do well, did not do
0: well in the 9 to 5. You know, Marcus Humman is a friend. Uh, a songwriter in town. And he said that he would go in, you mentioned your, your job at uh, Mary Tyler Moore Mm -hmm. and he would see you working behind the desk early on. Yes.
1: And actually Marcus gave me work. Um, he, I did some demos for him, um, back in the day, back in during that time period, I got to know, I knew a couple of songwriters and I started doing demos after work. Um, so I'd work nine to six and then I would do demos until, you know, nine o'clock and then I would go home and go to bed and get back up the next day. And, and then, for, and then for a while, I got a job playing at a bowling alley in Hendersonville, north of town. So I would go leave my job, and I would play from 7 to 2, and then I would get up and go to work the next day. So
0: you work a full normal day at 5 mm-hmm. p.m. Then you go to the bowling alley and play for five hours? Yeah. What does that mean? What do you do at a bowling alley when you play? Do you have like a—
1: You play sets. So you play like three, like three sets. Are you in a band? hmm I was in a band. So I did all the girl songs, you know.
0: <laughs> and you would do that for five hours? Yeah. For, yeah. And was it enough— were you doing it to like pay rent or were you doing it to get in the the music scene a bit?
1: I just wanted to sing. Yeah. I mean, and I I honestly made, I think I'd make about 200 bucks in a weekend, which was what I made in a paycheck, you know, so it was, and it was, I was having more fun doing that. So I eventually quit the the job to do that. But also the demo work was, I couldn't get full-time demo work having a full-time job. So I could only sing after work. So it was kind of that moment of like, I'm not really making enough money to, to quit the job. But if I don't quit the job, I'm not going to be able to do the other thing. And that was a little transition. But then I, then I did demo work and it was great for me because I learned, I learned so many things I didn't even know I was learning. You know, I learned what a good song was for me. I learned what a bad song was for me. I learned how to make a song my own because I'm kind of an imitator and I had sung with the radio my whole life. So then you're hearing songs you've never heard before and you have to, you have to make them yours. And it was, it was a great training ground for me in a, in a way that I didn't even realize
0: when you're a demo singer and for example, um, if you're listening to this, let's say you and I write a song and we're like, this is a really good song. We'll get someone to sing the demo so it gets pitched to artists. Right. Um, y- are you hearing like the work tape, the recording, like a cassette player and then learning it real quick? Or are you hearing that and, and looking at a lyric sheet yeah. and then walking in and singing it like pretty fresh?
1: Yeah. I'm hearing, I'm hearing it on like a jam box back in the day um, with a lyric sheet, maybe usually, uh, usually a lyric sheet. And, and this was the eighties, you know, so I would, I'd have a 10 o'clock, a two o'clock and a six o'clock. So usually there'd be three or four songs per session. So I would listen to the cassette of the three songs I had to sing at 10 o'clock on the way to the session. Cause I'd usually go by and pick up a copy the day before usually. And I'd learn them on the way. And I was, I had a really good short-term memory. So I, and I had this system of, cause you know, in Nashville, it's the number system. And I was like, do you know the number system? I'm like, yeah, of course I didn't, but I said I did cause I wanted the work and, my system was to listen and kind of just make these little hieroglyphic lines that no one could understand but me about this one, this song, this, there's a little lick here or that melody goes up upon an arrow, whatever I need to do to, to kind of learn it. And then I would sing those songs and then I would, um, usually do a harmony and then I would get in the car and I'd learn the next three or four songs on the way to the two o'clock because you so can't
0: cramming to each you're of them,
1: cramming for a test and to each one. And then the next day you do it all over again. so sometimes I wouldn't. I couldn't tell you what I had sung that morning, but if I eventually heard that on the radio, I'd find myself singing along with a song and be like, Oh, I did the demo. for oh, that." Wow. Isn't
0: that crazy? <clears throat> so it's like in subconsciously. Here. And it, yeah.
1: It's in here, but you it's just sitting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So did you ever sing demos of a song that turned out to be a pretty big one?
1: Um, I did a, I did sing a demo for a Lori Morgan song called, I guess you had to be there. I sang the demo for that. Um, I sang, uh, I'm trying to think there was something else that I did that became a, a big song, but, Oh, I did a demo for one of my very first demos ever was a song that became a hit for Sammy Kershaw called don't go near the water. For Sammy
0: Kershaw. a complete yeah. switch up. Totally. Yeah. Don't go near the water. Is, is there a pride for to demo singing when it, when it does kind of make it because you're like, Oh, I was on the first level of this.
1: It kind of is. And especially before you have a record deal on your own and you're, you're not hearing yourself on the radio, then you just kind of feel like, okay, I'm in, I am in this business somehow. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm contributing. And then the first time I heard myself on the radio was as a harmony singer. I, um, Kathy Matea asked me to sing on a record of hers called time passes by and I could hear my high harmony. And for me to hear myself singing on the radio, that was the first time. And it was like, okay, so oh, every cool. step was like a little step closer and closer to where I wanted to
0: be. We just did um, a whole show about background singers and background singers that you may not know were singing background. And some of the ones that we talked about were recently were Stapleton singing with Luke Bryan on Drink a Beer. We went back to You're So Vain from um, Carly um, Carly Simon with Mick Jagger, who just right. happened to be in the studio and was right. like, I'll sing. And, you know, he's not credited or when the Beatles did. Uh, but we did all this whole this whole show about background singers and you may not know who the famous background singer was counting Crow singing on the wallflowers things like that but like you mentioned you know you sang harmony you sang background records yeah. is that was a step up from demo singing when they would hire you to come and sing the backgrounds of the harmonies
1: yeah and i i uh because you were doing something that was for a record label that was potentially going to get played on the radio and I, I mean i sang uh you know i think garth Garth says, I don't know how many songs he's got, but I mean, I'm singing on like a hundred songs of his. And Is sometimes that right? you know, it's that me. Many? Sometimes you don't know it's me, but, um, and he did the same for me. He's singing on some of my records that you wouldn't know he's singing on. <clears throat> um, and then Leroy Parnell, I sang for, I, I sang with Vince Gill. I sang, um, I just, I mean, pretty much cause I loved singing harmony and I was good at it and I was inexpensive, you know? So as a demo singer, you're like, I come in, I know the song, I can sing on pitch, And I can do my own harmonies and, you know, 20 bucks, maybe 40, if there's harm if there's more than one harmony and you're out the door, you know, so it was a, but you add those up in a day and you, it was a pretty good living. So, you know, it was, it was, I made better money doing demos than I did as a receptionist. Um, And then I got a record deal and then I was broke, you know, because then you stop doing all of that. And then you, you're, then you're in
0: debt. (laughs) What's funny is, and this happens again to a lot of, of my friends and people I know is that you, as your profile goes up, you get poorer. Totally. And it's a, it's a weird juxtaposition of here you go. Everybody's like, wow, check this out. But you have no time to do anything except right. kind of start over and you're not making any money. You know, they don't give you, it's not American Idol. They don't give you a bunch of money as soon as you sign a record deal. No,
1: they don't. And if they, whatever they give you is to make your record, which is by the way, a loan because it's all you got to pay it back. Yeah. And then you pay it all back and then you still don't own your record, you know? So it's kind of a weird, it's totally weird situation. Um, But yeah, and then when you do, I remember that the first money that I actually made, which I never saw the check, but the first money that came in was the second album, Hearts and Armor, when it went platinum. I remember that there was there was going to be some actual money coming in, and um, it went right back into reinvesting in what we were doing next because we were going on tour, and we were you know you're paying a band, you gotta you got a bus you got to pay for, and it's it's a lot, you know. So we never really saw it.
0: Yeah, it's so much. I was looking you know, because I have a comedy band and we, we play some, you know, we do a few thousand people a night. It's just pretty good little shows. And, and I do stand up and we do some comedy songs and the full band plays. But just to pay the band and travel, every show it's thousands and thousands of dollars. Yes. I was looking at my business manager and, you know, because I'm paying my drummer. You got to pay your bassist. You got to pay your tour manager. You're pay- And by the time you look at the whole thing, it's thousands of dollars f- for every show. And if you're new and some of my, you know, people have been opening acts and you're getting, you know, five to seven, 7,500 for opening spot on one of these tours, right? You're paying that to just get there.
1: Oh yeah. You're oh, you're yeah. not
0: making any money.
1: And I think it's harder, even harder now because artists, you know, they pretty much don't do a deal anymore. That's not a 360 deal. Right. So you don't get, so now you're, you're used to be that you're, you know, your money is, you're paying everybody. You have you have all the responsibility. You pay all the expenses. You're the last person paid, and now a percentage of everything you make is going to your record label, including your live show, including your merchandise, through every single thing. So it sounds like oh, poor me, but I think people just assume oh, well they're just all rolling in the dough, yeah. and it's really it's really for ninety five percent of artists, it's a really hard job that has you in debt. I yeah. mean it's it's not it's not you have to you have to do it because you love it.
0: You know it's the I would say it's the one percent of the one percent who make money because it's the one percent to get to this town and be able to just be so good and good meaning you've done the work to, to also be good to be so good that you get a shot and you get signed and that's just a shot and yeah. then to be the one percent who gets signed and actually can make money and make a long career of it it's the one it's the point one percent of people who can actually you know make money it's it's way more difficult than I think some people think it is
1: yeah and I, I think I think especially now with There's so many ways, if you don't have any kind of connection into the music industry, there's so many ways now to get yourself out there with social media and YouTube and all that, that everybody does think, oh, I'll just do this and I'll be famous or whatever. And even if you become a sensation on YouTube, it doesn't guarantee, you know, the the goal is longevity
0: and that's not easy to do. These online musicians, I, I was reading about a rapper, Young Dolph. Yeah. I didn't know who he was either. I do, maybe you do. Maybe I you're do a huge not. young Dolph fan. Like, no, did I don't you either. see
1: the look in my eyes? I'm like, uh.
0: <laughs> Didn't know who he was. He was eating at a Cracker Barrel. <clears throat>
1: it's old Dolph's kid.
0: Yeah, yeah of course. And, and the Dolph Senior. <laughs> yeah. The whole generation of Dolphs.
1: He had a uh, golf video, I think.
0: He was eating in a Cracker Barrel. And um, he had $500,000 of jewelry in his car. There was They busted out his window. It was all in his car. They stole it all out of there. And I'm like, how did this dude make $500,000? Uh, he's an online rapper. He's a rapper who made it online. I don't know where he's getting that money, but some of these YouTubers can make a quick pop, but you got to sustain that. But half a million
1: dollars in a car. Are you kidding me? And first of all, where's your business? Where's someone telling you to not nobody keep was telling Half them. a million dollars worth of jewelry in nobody, your nobody, car. nobody was telling me. It was half a million dollars worth of jewelry besides maybe like Liz Taylor.
0: I don't know. Jewelry and, and in a car. That's crazy. In a car. Yeah. So someone busted out the window. It was a camouflage, G wagon busted it at the crack. And I'm like, get the Cracker Barrel. He's also getting at the I crack roll There's a, there's some irony. There's so to, many things wrong yes. with his
1: story. I can't even.
0: When oh. did like the for you? When did it start to be? Hey, we got to get this music online. What part? What stage?
1: Um, like a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, <laughs>
0: just, just recently. It's like Trisha.
1: I've sort of been the last man standing. Um, sorry. <clears throat> I uh, <clears throat> it's it's hard because I come from a different kind of a different era. You know of the way music was made and sold and i am also wanting to be current so i want to do things the way things are being done i know people consume music in such a different way um and this was really the album this let's be frank album was the one that i said okay let's just put it everywhere because we just what we want is for as many people to discover it as possible so let's put it in every single possible form we can which is why if you buy the album or you buy the vinyl there's a digital download inside we're on all this streaming um we just want we just want to get it out there and you know i i it's tough for me because i as a as a listener and a consumer of music i consume that same way so if i if i want to hear a song and i and i go to youtube and watch the video then i might be less likely to buy the record so what's going to motivate me to buy it if I can just hear it in all these places for free? But, but at the same time, you have to get it out there for people to hear. So um, we just said, let's go for it.
0: Why do I play For the Last Time? This is from the Let's Be Frank album. I have it here. I have it for on the vinyl.
1: time, I'm in
0: love the last
1: time. My love was like a lyric with no
0: melody. This is the next to last track on the record. I just looked at the track last the it's uh, you have a vinyl that you gave me here. Do you listen to things on vinyl?
1: I do. You know what's really cool is that I, it makes me listen to albums again for, all the way through. Which yeah, is yeah, because it's that, hard to
0: skip. Right, I, exactly. I agree with that.
1: It, 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 so, and, and there's reasons for the the way records are made in a certain order. It was the first time in a long time that I had to think about what do you want to start side B with. You know, it's like <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. You know,
0: is it a different order than <laughs> if you were to stream the record that you did the the album, the vinyl with? Um, Yes, because, because of that, because yes. you want to start side and,
1: and on vinyl, one of the reasons that we moved away from vinyl as a format is because it can only handle a certain amount of, of time on a, on the on the vinyl before it starts to lose the quality of the record. Oh, you mean plays before yeah. it starts to sound bad? Well, no, it's the it's actually the minutes on the record. So like something over, is 20, that right? over 22 minutes aside, something about the grooves in the vinyl huh. makes the sound quality go go the other way so so there's that you know so we actually had another song we dropped a song on this off of this to make it fit on the vinyl and then i decided not to add it back on cd you can put as many as you want um i didn't want to i didn't do that because i didn't want uh there to be something somewhere that went anywhere else so that's a consideration and then you have to think about well if somebody's going to flip this record over how does it's almost like a a six song playlist on each side
0: here is come fly with me
1: come oh. Let's fly, let's fly
0: away. Did you find that songs like this, the more legendary songs, were a little harder to do because everybody knows them? Yes.
1: Because I
0: would be like, I just don't want to screw this up. Everybody knows it. (laughs)
1: Yes. And also, interestingly, the big, huge, lush 55 piece symphony ballads were not as hard as the lighter, like Come Fly With Me, kind of the jazzy, more rhythmic things because you find yourself trying to think about being cool when you're singing it and you have to not think about it. You have to just like, you have to go look, you know how to sing. Don't overthink it. Don't worry about it. Just sing it. Um, But yes, I mean, come fly with me one for my baby, one for the road. Those are such quintessential Frank songs, right? So you just have to hope that people know that you are just trying to show your respect.
0: And with Frank, it's such a weird thing because you want to do it right because of Frank's legend. However, people love Frank. And if you don't do it right, I just, I danced to a Frank Sinatra song. I danced with the stars and people were lighting me up. Cause I wasn't that great of a dancer. It's like, how would you, <laughs> could you disrespect Frank Sinatra? And I was like, I'm dancing. This isn't, I did New York, New York. And they were like, how would you do I was like, I dance as good as I could. I'm not a dancer. I just liked the song. But I saw then a little bit how pissy people would get when you, yeah, wouldn't well, do everything wonderfully.
1: What you have to do is you have to just understand that if you, I know that my respect level for him and his music is high. I know that my intention was to make a record that was mine, but also was a very uh, you know, specific tribute to him. And there's got to be somebody out there that is like, really? What is this country chicks thinking doing a Sinatra record? But I really don't care. I mean, it's kind of like it, if you're going to do it, you know, you go out and you dance your heart out, Bobby Bones, and you Listen, don't worry about what people say. I worried say. about what everybody thought cuz I wasn't a good dancer. <laughs> uh,
0: for the la- or um, let's be frank is out. Um, I should mention that first song that we played that's the one that you and Garth wrote, right? Is that mm-hmm. that's what you told me? We talked about that on the radio show.
1: Yeah, yeah, we um yeah, that one. Yeah. So I came home with um, this title in my head and I think I told you when we talked before that you know Garth's the one in all the songwriter hall of fames and so I'm like I don't, I'm not really a confident writer, and I, I tend to do things that come easy to me, but if they're a little bit of work, I, I give up pretty quickly. I'm good at that. And uh, writing is one of those things that, I mean, I've written all my cookbooks, and there are stories about my life and my family, but they're not poems. They don't rhyme. They're not, you know, I'm not a poet like Garth is, but he is, so it worked out w- really well. And we worked on this together, and um, I really, am, I, I would I would not have, I didn't intend to write a song for the record. It, wasn't, it didn't happen at the same time. But um, when the song was finished, it felt like a throwback to another era. So when this album came about, it felt like the place to put it.
0: Well, it fits with all the other songs, too. Like, I, <coughs> if, if I would have just played it and not known. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some, some water in the fridge. I'm no, Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just
1: off the end of a cold, and it's like the cough won't go there away. There?
0: Here, while you take a drink, we'll, th- we'll take a quick break here. <laughs> this festival and concert season will be all about the Boots. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Covas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted, audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest.
2: Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in HOPE. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tea. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785 833. That's B O B B Y to 785 833.
0: You know something interesting about you is um, you mentioned that you that you sang on roughly a hundred Garth songs. Yeah, something like that. Do you remember the first time that you ever went and sang with him, or was he just one of the singers you were popping in with?
1: No, I mean actually, I met Garth. Um, it's kind of a famous story. Now we were introduced by a guy named Kent Blazy, who wrote um, "If Tomorrow Never if tomorrow Comes." Tomorrow never comes, yeah. And I did demos for Kent. So when during those demo days, when I was driving around with the cassette in my car. Um, Kent was one of the first guys I met in Nashville, long before I met Garth. And so, Kent had a studio in his attic of his house, and I would go over to his house and I would sing. and And Kent kept saying, "I'm working with this other guy, and um, he, you guys need to meet each other. I feel like you guys would really get along. And he you need, he needs to call you to do some of his chick singer demos." And I'm like, "Cool." And Garth was um didn't have a record deal yet. I think he had just signed with Capitol, didn't have an album out yet. And um, so one day Kent hired us. Uh, for to do a demo a duet so we met at Kent's house in the attic for 10 bucks a song and Gar says he didn't get paid anything that day but I think he got 10 bucks that day and um, that was the day that we met so we met before he was you know famous and I remember him saying because that day he said he went to Bob Joel, his manager and said <clears throat> this girl like you've got to hear this girl sing I um, remember him saying I you know I, I just got signed to Capitol I'm about to put up my first album and I hope someday we're, you know we can work together and uh, if I'm lucky enough to do well and whatever. And I remember when he left, I thought, that's cool. Like, I mean, I thought this guy's got really big dreams. I mean, I hope, you know, like he's, he's not even released his album yet. And he's asking me to, you know, be on his tour kind of thing. And then of course he became Garth Brooks. And after that first album, um, then he called me to come and sing on the second album. And so it was songs like um, uh, Cole's shoulder when that on the second album, Cole's shoulder was on the second album. I missed the Friends in Little Places day. I was out of town on tour. Oh, the literal day where they sing it. I literally missed that day, which really bummed me out because there's like everybody's on that song and I wanted to be on that record and I wasn't. Um, But fast forward to when I got my record deal a couple of years later. And uh, by that time, Friends in Little Places was out and he was this phenomenon, you know. And so he he said, let's go over to MCA and uh, go see Tony Brown and um, about seeing if you want to come out on tour with me. And everybody was wanting to be on that tour. I mean, it was like the tour to be on. And so when we got to the front desk, the receptionist, uh, Willie, she, um, called back to Tony and said, Garth and Trisha are here and Garth Fundus is my producer. So Tony thought it was me and my producer. And so I walk in with Garth Brooks and he's like, I'd like to, I'd want, I'd like to talk to you about maybe taking Trisha on this tour. And of course I was like, yes, you know, so for me, it was kind of a blessing and a curse because I had grown up doing demos. I had not grown up in the clubs. I'd not come up through learning my way in front of a small crowd of drunks. So my very first audiences were opening for Garth and, you know, doing a set in front of 15,000 people who didn't know who I was. Is that right? So that was my first. And of course, Garth being Garth, you know, most of the time, if you're on a big tour like that, the artist has all their stuff. And then there's a big curtain in front of it. And you've got about three feet to stand in front of and do your show, which would have been a dream come true for me because I was terrified. And of course, Garth's like, here, use my whole stage, you know. And I'm like, oh, that's so great. So that was it was terrifying. But I had to, it was really baptism by fire, you know. And I had She's in Love the Boy out, which was doing well, but that was the only song I had on the radio. So people spent either the entire 20 minutes I was out there getting popcorn or yelling for She's in Love the Boy, you know, until that was my last
0: song. Is that the first song of yours that you heard on the radio? Yeah. She's in Love with the Boy? Yeah. Play that one a little bit. Did you know it was coming when you heard it the first time?
1: Mm-mm. I remember exactly where I was. I was just I was right down the street here in Green Hills, driving down the road and a I had a four door Burgundy Honda used and I was driving down that road and I heard it come on and I rolled all the windows down and I don't know why. I guess I thought I wanted everybody on the street to hear it, too. I don't know. I mean, it was like this, you know, just this whole, your whole body lights up, you know, and um, it was the most exciting thing in the world because I had literally wanted to be a singer since I was five years old, and I remember listening to the radio in my mom's and dad's kitchen in our house thinking, I was naive enough to think, well, they're on the radio. Why can't I be? And I think that's part of the reason that I became one of those 1%, because I didn't know the odds. I didn't know what the odds were, and I really just believed, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it?
0: Did you feel when you were working at the front desk and people would come in to work in a profession that you wanted to do that you were as good as they were already? I and mean, because I know it's frustrating when people are doing what you want to do, but did you feel like, "Oh, I'm I'm there talent-wise, it's just I got to put in my time."
1: My thing was I believed in my voice. I I believed that I had a voice and that I could sing, but I'm I'm basically an introvert. I mean, I'm not like I grew up watching Barbara Mandrell on television and she played every instrument and she danced and she did all this stuff. And I was not, I'm not that kind of an entertainer. And so I really thought, um, you know, I'm, I can sing, I'm a little bit overweight. I don't play an instrument really. I can play a little bit of guitar, but I don't. So I didn't think I had enough. I thought I've got this one skill that I believe in, but I don't have all these other ones. So I think for me, it was, I did have a strong belief in myself and I don't, I think if I didn't, I wouldn't be sitting here. But at the same time, I, I had all these doubts about the things that I thought I needed to be able to do before I could be a, be successful
0: at it. So you felt you had to develop, You even then you felt like you needed to develop a bit more. Yeah. You weren't sure. so strong.
1: No, no. I mean, and I went to Belmont where there were so many music majors and You couldn't, you throw a stick without somebody telling you what a great singer they were, you know, and I was not that girl. And even actually at, at MTM records, um, after I got my record deal, there were people at that building who said, we didn't even know, we didn't know you sang.
0: Really? Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't one of the ones that were like, Hey, I sing, I sing. I was not, I was not. No. How, how did you change that then how did you start telling people i sing i sing
1: i think it was because i i was shy and i wasn't bold about telling people i was a singer but after working at that label for about six months and answering the phones and ordering liquid paper and not and watching people do what i wanted to do i realized if i don't tell somebody this is what i do if i don't really get off my butt and try to make this happen then i'm going to get to do this for the rest of my yeah. life and i reconnected i had um I had a couple of songwriters, one was Kent Blazy that I had done demos for, and I um, I just found those guys again and said, "Hey, I'm trying to find I'm trying to get some demo work." And demo work was my way out once I started to get enough work that I could actually quit my job.
0: Who was it for you that took the big shot? Like you we went, "Wow, this person really like put it out there for me to like believed in me when maybe they didn't have to."
1: I mean, it, there was there were several, there were a lot of people. The chain of events were the two Garths, honestly, because When I met Garth Brooks, he was the person who introduced me to Alan Reynolds, his producer. And Alan was really a great friend to me because Alan gave me advice based on what he thought was best for me, not what he thought I could maybe do for him. And he was the guy who said, you should meet Garth Fundus. He's a guy who I feel like you guys have really hit it off. And Fundus was the one who, when he heard me sing, said, let's do a showcase. He's the one who went to bat for me at the record labels and to help me get a record deal and he was the one who helped me get the music that was in my head onto tape. What I what I really wanted, how I really wanted to sound, and the music, kind of music that I wanted to make. So it was it was really all of those people together because I would never met Garth Fundus if it wouldn't have been for Garth Brooks. Um, and so I guess it really was, you know, it ended up being my husband, the one that really believed in me, that that was like that started just telling everybody about me. And he didn't even have a single on the radio.
0: So he was doing that before he was. Garth Brooks. Yes. He was just a guy named Garth. <laughs> he just was, yeah. He was a less famous Garth probably at the time, Yeah, too.
1: and he was, and then it was like, I know two Garths now. Eventually, a guy, there's a guy who's a tour manager's name is Garth, and he came in and uh, um, did an interview for a job, and I told him, I said, you're probably great at what you do, but I, I can't know you. Like, I just can't. Like, I, I have two Garths in my life. It's already too weird. Like, I just
0: can't do it. That's a true story. That happened. That's a lot of Garths. I mean, even two Garths. I, I know, obviously, your husband a bit. I don't know any other Garth. I know it's so it's so
1: odd and actually if we're all in the studio together, which happens, it's very strange, you know. So actually I started calling Garth Fundus Tennessee because I'm like I have to have like a nickname mm. for you because I can't cuz I'd say Garth they both whip their head around, you know. I'm like I know cuz they, they never hear anybody else call Garth, right. you know. So yeah, so it's a it's a thing.
0: On on this new let's be frank record you went and recorded did you say you recorded like with the like the mic that Frank Sinatra yeah. had used. Yes. Now, does that mic just chill there, or do they like bring it out for special occasions? They
1: use it. I mean, it's you know, Capitol is like a working museum. You know, I mean, you walk in, you think this stuff should be behind glass, but I guess it's cool that you actually get to use this stuff. But at the same time, it's like it's Sinatra's microphone, and um, and the the bar stools in there, the the straight back chairs, they're they're like there's tons of photos of Frank and. And Judy Garland and Dean Martin—all this stuff is the is the capital gear. And I guess that's part of the vibe. I mean, you definitely feel the ghosts in this room when you're in there. But I would be afraid to use all that stuff. But I mean, some of the best microphones, like Nashville, where I where I make my country records, I use an I use this uh, anointment. It's called a C12, and it's an it's a microphone that I've used for years because I like how it my voice can tend to if I get loud, it either the mic will shut down. Or the mic will sound really, I'll sound really tinny and high endy, and I don't, I want it to still sound warm. And that's a challenge. And the other thing is, if they put a compressor on your voice, then you can handle the big loud, but it just still shuts your voice down. So it's a thing. So there's this one microphone that I love. And I've been trying to buy this microphone forever because there are, you could put four of the same exact mic side by side, but there's one that's going to sound different. And I've been stalking this microphone for years. And, uh, I, I finally, I bought it like last week. Oh, you did? Yeah. Finally, finally they sold Super it Super expensive? Um, yeah, not, not terrible, but, but, hard it's, to but get. it's, yeah, but hard yeah. to get. And it's an old microphone. So, so th- this microphone is probably 25, 30 years old. So it is a, it's the, it's one of those things that doesn't, that, that time is a friend to, it doesn't make it like, oh this is just old. There is something sweet about it. And I will say that, that, that Frank microphone was warm and friendly and it just made your voice feel like butter and you just felt like you could
0: sing anything. One of the things that I would compare, cause I am very particular about the mics that I use every day, right? Cause I talk <clears throat> every day. So mics are important to me and also headphones, but I would compare them to people who don't, if you don't work in music or sound like the, you can have 10 pair of jeans that are exactly the same, but one of those pair of jeans is going to fit you so just right. You may have three pairs that you own are the same. But that one pair you always go back to because it just feels the best. Yeah, and you can't really explain it so much. Like a little bit, you can. Maybe it fits you a little better here. But you're like, oh, this one just feels better. Like it fits me better. Yeah, that's how I describe. Like, that's, when I'm a good, that's a good. That's a good analogy. About-
1: and and the microphone too, and what you hear in your headphones, it's so um, subjective, right? So it's whatever feels good to you. And right. sometimes it's hard to describe if I'm, especially if I'm in the studio and the engineer is um, asking me what I need sometimes it's hard to say exactly what it's doing. But if, you're, if you've are if you worked with somebody long enough, you can kind of say, I feel this way or that way, and they're like, oh, I got it, and they'll fig- they'll figure it out. That's the one thing I've really enjoyed about making records with Garth Fundus, who we've made it, most of our records with, and we're just finishing a country record now, is that we've worked together for so long that I can tell him something's not right, and I don't know exactly what it is, but, I, but something in here is bugging me, and he'll usually go, oh, I bet you don't like the blah, blah, blah. Here, let's turn that down. He he knows me well enough to kind of know. So we have a language that is nice because I can't always articulate what I want, but he seems to know.
0: Then yeah, it's funny. Cause the analogy I use for that is like, if you're getting like a massage, it's hard to say exactly where it hurts, but if they like can find it, you're like, Oh, that's it. That's it. That's yeah, it right yeah, yeah. there. Like that's, that's how <laughs> yeah. adjusting something that you really can't explain is. Yeah, that's for it's for sure. Like, oh, you got it. Come back a little bit there. Yep, right there, that's right that's there. Funny. There it is. Oh. Ah, yeah, that's me. That's, that's also the sound I do when I get a massage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> When you t- From this Let's Be Frank record, will you do any of these songs live?
1: Yeah, um, we uh, we just did our first show um, at the Rainbow Room in New York um, fitting for the Frank record and it was the first time I had done all of these songs and I, it was really funny. You, you'll find this funny. I think I had done a few of the songs but I hadn't done the whole show and I'd been doing a lot of press in New York that week and um, I'd had a long day. It was one of those morning shows where I'd gotten up at four and then I had a show that night and in about three o'clock that afternoon before sound check it hit me I haven't done these songs. Like, I don't know if I know all the words to They All Laughed and The Ladies of Tramp. There's a lot of verses and there's a lot going on here. And I'm nervous and it's the Rainbow Room and it's New York. And so I spent a couple of hours while I was getting hair makeup and everybody's coming and asking me questions, listening and listening and listening. So I was terrified that night because I thought, I can't go out here. and this. I've been waiting to do this record for 20 years and I don't remember all the words to The Ladies of Tramp. Like, I will be I'll be carried out of here. You, you
0: know, know if someone will record it on their phone.
1: Right, exactly. Um and but I did I did fine. It was a good night. It was a good night, but I was terrified. Um and I loved it. Like I loved singing these songs. We did a few of like we did She's in Love the Boy and we did um Walk Away Joe, but I kind of couldn't wait to get to these songs just because um and w- when we do when we do a tour, we'll do some of the songs that people know me for, but we'll also do these. It's just I don't know how we're going to do it cuz you kind of when you're it's kind of Changing into a different mode, and when you're in that mode, you kind of want to stay there. So I we'll see how we do it. We, I've done some symphony shows before. Before I made this record, um, and I have some really cool orchestra arrangements for some of those songs. But um, so we'll see.
0: Well, I bet that band's expensive. Talking about expensive bands yeah. and orchestra.
1: Yeah, I mean, holy crap. yes. I mean, that's the thing. You know, a lot of people don't use live orchestra anymore because it's so expensive. L. A. Was good, and they get a lot of work because they do a lot of movie scores and stuff. But um, fifty-five pieces. I mean. You know, this album will have to do well for me to do another one because it's really a lot of money, and you don't have to do that anymore. But I can't imagine having done this another way. To be in the room with everybody, it's almost like you're all taking the same breath in and out, and the conductor's across from you, and he's looking at you for a signal of how long do you want to pause here, and how, and you're all working together, and it feels like you're just another instrument in the room. And I can't imagine doing it another way. It was it was one of the coolest things ever.
0: If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com.
2: T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Would you use a prompter? Let's say the words you just you didn't have it. Would you put a prompter up?
1: I I mean I hope I've never done that. You haven't. I, I hope not because here's what here's what I find. If I'm doing an award show or something and they they'll have the prompter. I even if I if I'm singing "She's in Love with the Boy," which I sung a million times and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the prompter, <laughs> you know. So I feel like it's a thing that makes you look. And I've been to shows and seen people use prompter and I find them staring at the prompter. And so I don't want to be that girl. So as long as I can remember the words and if I forget words, I just blame someone else. Like I blame the microphone. I pretend something's <laughs> wrong. You know, like I have lots of ways around it or I just acknowledge I totally, totally forgot the words. Um, I'd rather do that, I think. Than, um, and I have a pretty good memory for lyrics. So uh, as long as I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing that.
0: You mentioned Walk Away Joe. And we'll play that just for a bit here. A, a song like that that you've sang 10,000 times, right? Do you go into a mode of, like when you drive, you know you're driving, but you've driven this way so many times that you probably are doing most of that driving subconsciously. Right. Do you do that with these massive songs where it's just like you, you're so comfortable, you, it's hard to not fall back into the that subconscious place of just singing the song?
1: I mean, I, I would would be lying if I said I'd never done that. But 99% of the time, I, I'm so dramatic and I love a story and I always make myself a character in the story. So if in that, in walk Away Joe, I'm a character for those three and a half minutes, you know, so I really get lost in the lyric of a song and I, I enjoy that. That's part of what I get out of live performing. So I will say that I, I'm sure I've done it, but I also do really think about this. This is something that, that I learned on the Garth tour in 1991 there's going to be somebody in the audience who's never seen you before and is never going to see you again. And the only time they're ever going to hear walk away Joe live is this moment. And so I don't really want to be making my mental grocery list while they're in there for that moment. And I do think about that before I go out. So um, I'm sure I've done it, but I try not to do it.
0: Yeah. Mickey Mantle would say there's always somebody in, in the stands who has never seen Mickey Mantle before and will never see Mickey Mantle again. So I got to go out, and make it special for that person, but it's such a hard thing to do because you see, you do it so often. Do you and Garth like give each other pep talks? Because I've never met either one of you together or separately, and you're not just awesome. And it's almost <laughs> annoying, Trisha, where it's like I would like to ca- I'd like to catch you on off day because that just means you're human. You've ne- you guys have never not been awesome to me.
1: Well, I'm more human than him. I mean, I think he I think one of the reasons that I have um a more of a grateful, positive outlook in life in general is because of him because he. He looks at everything in a positive way. I mean, he will he will spin the positive no matter what, and I think that I I want to be that, but I'm not as much so as him, but I am more so that way with him in my life. And I think that there's just a I mean, honestly, when you really think about it, what we get to do for a living, if you really think about it, is so such a great job. It's not even really a job. It's like I'm getting paid to have every day be different in my life and I get to go sing and I get to basically set my own schedule and I'm doing what I have always wanted to do my whole life. So I really, if I complain about that, someone should really just punch me in the face.
0: Can I be devil's advocate for a second? Yes. You sacrificed a lot. You have a lot of talent. It's not that anybody can do it. And you, not only do you have a lot of talent because a lot of people have talent, but people don't have talent and work ethic. And again, it's that perfect mixture of the both and also catching a couple breaks and giving a couple breaks like it is i agree with you cuz i feel the same way but again it's not like it was handed to you and you go out and go you know what this this is just given to me i should appreciate what was given to me like you work so hard for it
1: well i think there is i mean i think it's a will rogers quote that's something about um luck is disguised in overalls and something like that like mm-hmm. it's a bunch of work but i mean i think it is a drive that makes the work feel like, not work really because it's you're so driven. I don't, I always say, I don't feel like I chose this. Like, I never, I didn't wake up one day and go, Hey, I think it'd be really cool to be a singer. I feel like I was, and it felt like a calling. And it was almost, it was hard when I couldn't do it because as a young girl and as a teenager in a small town where nobody did what I wanted to do. I didn't know how to go about it. And that was the most frustrating part. Once I got to Nashville, then I'm like, okay, I'm here now. And, and I'm just going to be here and I'm going to, I'm just going to figure it out. There's a drive there. And I am a person who I like balance. So like yesterday, I didn't have anything on my schedule yesterday. And I stayed in my pajamas most of the day. I played with my dogs. I read a book. I had coffee and I loved it. But I could, I couldn't do that every day. I, I need this. This has been a great day. This has been a really busy day, but I've had the best day. So it's a, it's, and it's because I'm doing what I enjoy.
0: Yeah. I feel the same way. I, and I work really hard, but I also love what I do, which makes me work really hard, which is because I love It's just a, it's a nice little circle.
1: Yeah. It totally so It's is. like and the
0: arrow, the recycle arrows almost. It's and like, you,
1: you do have to figure out the balance when you mm, have. Well, to,
0: I don't yeah. have that yet. Yeah. Do you know anybody? I don't have any um, life balance. Let me know. Um, yeah, yeah. Know. I don't know if I can help you. It I'll it think on that. Don't tell them I don't drink though, because it runs the whole thing. <laughs> I want to talk you about. You need that
1: though, Bobby. We have to find you. We have to find you that balance. You need it because
0: you will just work all the time if you don't have a balance. Well, that's what I do. Here is my cycle: is that I go. I'm going to work all the time because if I work hard, I get successful. Then somebody will like me, right? And then I work all the time and I don't build my my ecosystem of friends and folks, right? And so when I go, you know what? I'm not going to work. I'm going to take a second. And I take a break and there's no ecosystem of friends that folks around me because I haven't built it. Right. It's like being a gardener, we're not planting the garden. Right. Where my, where's my food? We well, didn't plant it, idiot. That's what I've, <laughs> it's like, that's what I'm saying to myself. And then I'm like, you know, screw this. I don't want to be, I don't have a system. I'm just going to keep working. So it never ends.
1: After you've been through all the Netflix you can watch, then it's time to go back to work.
0: Yeah, I do. You, wa- you, have, you watch Netflix? I do. What do you, what do you watch recently?
1: Um, well, I've been on this whole kick of all these really disturbing documentaries on everything that, you know, from abducted in plain sight to, oh my my God. God, it was so disturbing. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself to dirty John to like, it's just like, I really need to watch like a Disney movie. Although usually someone dies in the first five minutes. So that's not good. We need to find
0: something else. That abducted in plain sight. So disturbing. So incredibly disturbing. I'm glad it was only one episode because I wouldn't have done in a second one. Yeah.
1: I, I get excited when I find... Me too. I get excited when I find out a show that I love has new episodes that I didn't know so then I can binge watch. So I just figured out the second half of the last of the this current season of Shameless is out and I didn't know it. So yesterday when I was in my pajamas, I got to watch like four episodes in a row that I had not seen. And I was so excited because I love that show. Um, you watched Ted Bundy tapes? I did. That's... That's... I can't wait to the movie. I can't wait to see the movie movies. Yeah. Coming out. And it's
0: coming. It's a Netflix movie too. Is it? Yeah. So it'll be right, right into our, yeah. they won't even the great, here's the great thing about Netflix movies is that they don't even tell you they're coming. So you don't sit there and go, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's like, boom, you got a movie and I love it. It's, it's crazy. But I mean, I
1: was a kid. I was in high school when, um, or junior high I was in, it was eighties. Right. So I was in high school. So when that story was real and a thing, it was before cell phones. It was also really before like serial murders. It was like, that was kind of the beginning. So I remember, and one of my best friends who lives here in Nashville um, is from Seattle. And she, she there's that, that park that one of the girls was, uh, she was in that park that day. And, um, she and her girlfriend saw a VW bug drive by and slow down. And then they went and they ran, they ran into the woods. And I'm like, maybe you saw that. Like, I think you might've seen Ted Bundy that day. Like, so it's, it's terrifying when you realize that it's kind of happened when it could have happened to you as a a young girl. And also that it was kind of the beginning of, of this whole serial killer thing. So if you, if you were alive during that time, I mean, our kids go, well, I don't, I don't even understand it. I'm like, yeah, it was a, it was a thing. It was a big deal.
0: The craziest thing about that to me was state to state. You could basically go do whatever you want in this state, just jump over the state line and they, they didn't share records with each other.
1: Right. You're a brand new man. Right. I mean, isn't he the reason that there became like yes. an FBI database because there wasn't one, right?
0: That and also the fact that he escaped jail twice blew my mind. I know. He would practice jumping off his top cell to get his legs strong I know. so he could jump out of the building. And then
1: when he lost all the weight so he could go through the little ceiling square in the ceiling to get out. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. That crazy. was a, that, crazy. And totally then I crazy. felt guilty when it was over. Because I really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed the show of it. Right. And I enjoyed learning the history of it. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. So then I watched like five episodes of The Office to kind of cleanse <laughs> to myself. cleanse your it's soul. Like, oh, something. <laughs> I, I do want to talk about this uh, country record that you're going to put out. I'll just call it a, I wouldn't even call it a country record. I would say your record, another record. Because like it's time, right? Like this is me talking. Like it's time, right?
1: Yes. I mean, thank you. I mean, yes. I mean, I think what happened honestly was... I didn't say, oh, I'm going to take several years off of making records. It just, the tour with Garth plus the cooking show, which I, you know, I never dreamed I would be doing all this other stuff. It sort of became, well, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll make a record, I'll make a record. And it just kind of kept getting put on the back burner. And it is what feeds my soul. It is what I do. It is what make, brings me the most joy of all these things I do that I love. And so last year, 2018, after the tour ended, I just made it a priority. I'm like, I'm making music this year. And that's how the Sinatra record happened. And then I started the country record, which I would call it a country record, in uh, in May. And we're mixing starting this week. So um, it was so much fun. It reminded me that that whole life is short and get, a, get after it thing. I don't want to wait. I want to just keep making music. I'm not worried about, at this point in my life, I'm not worried about... How I'm going to get it out there. I'll figure that out. I mean, I don't know about radio. I don't know about any of those things, but I wasn't thinking about any of that in the studio. I was just finding songs that felt good. I laughed a lot. I sang a lot. I, I feel like my voice feels strong. I feel good. And I just, I did what I do. If you're going to call yourself an artist, that's what you do. And then you figure out, someone else will help you figure out how you get it out there.
0: This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Covas.com Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted, audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash Boar's nest. Do you guys record a song in songs that you obviously really love and go, oh, that could be the single? Like, do do you now, are you leaning toward one and you're going, I think this is the one that, And whatever single means, radio highlighted on playlist, you know.
1: At first, it's funny because at first I said, and I said, um, I'm not making a, I don't, I'm not even going to send this record radio. Like I'm just going to make an album. I don't care. I don't care about having anything on the radio. And then as I started making the record and started listening to the songs and started like, I love these songs, and I'm like, well, this could be a single, you know. And so, so we're, I'm just about at that place where I'm going to figure that out. But I, it's funny because I guess it's ego or it's my own self-confidence, but when I hear it, I go, I, I could hear this on, on the radio. So, I mean, that'll be for a group of people to weigh in on, but I feel like, um, I feel like there's, there's, there's some things. And the cool thing is, the hard thing is I'm 54. I'm a woman. There's So those are two big strikes against me for radio. But the, the good news is that there is more opportunity, I think, and openness to do things, however you do them now. So it doesn't, it's not as, well, you got to be on these three labels and you can only get, there's, there's just a million ways to do it now. So I think there's, while some things are harder, some things are easier. So um, we'll see.
0: I'm excited about it.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I am too. I really am. I mean, I when we made the this, let's be frank, in the summer, I've been chomping at the bit to get it out. And now that it's out, I'm chomping at the bit to get the country record out. So um, I'm, I'm very excited to, to come in and talk to you about
0: it. Yeah. Don't send it to me early though. I will not listen to it.
1: I will not send it to you early.
0: Right. Not that you were going to, <laughs> but don't send it to me early.
1: Well, I, it's good to know. Cause I want, I want to send it to you when
0: you'll listen to it. Well, my thing is, I think you can be of the industry, or other people, right? One of the two. And I don't listen to music early because I don't want to be cooler than my people. And so I, some of my best friends will go, won't listen to it. I just, I have a rule and it's I also like a slippery that. slope, but, the, but it's mostly about, I don't want to be of the industry and it gets me in trouble a lot. You know, uh, good and bad, you know, yin-yang. Right. But I just, I won't because like I like to wake up on the Friday and, some, and some, I'll listen to it before I go to the show sometimes, sometimes after. Never can I hear a full record before I go on the air. It takes an hour sometimes. Right. Unless it's a a record, it takes 19 minutes, one <laughs> of the two. Um, and I like to experience it like my people experience it. And so, yeah, like I'm excited. If you come in early and we do an interview, this is what, this is my moral dilemma If you come in early, because sometimes, let's say, you're going to go do press in New York, and you're not going to be able to talk to me on album day, and you come in on a Wednesday, and have to, like, play the clips, I feel like I'm dirty to my people. Yeah. But I have to do the interview. I feel bad. I shouldn't hear this. It's like a baby (laughs) that covers earmuffs from old school. Well,
1: it's kind of like I will – like, I want to go support the artist. So even for myself, like, I have a thing where I go and buy my album on the first day. It's kind of like that. I mean, I – and if somebody gives me an advanced copy of something, I still want to go buy it. Cause I want all the artwork and I want, I want everything. I yeah. want to, I want to have the original whatever. So I still do that. I've since the very first album, I, I go and buy my, my records every on the, on release day.
0: Let me mention Trisha's tailgate real quick. Tell me about that.
1: So when we were doing the tour with Garth, this last one, I guess I just didn't notice it. Cause I mean, I'm a sports girl, so I know about tailgating and that's the thing in Georgia, especially, but, um, everybody tailgates for these concerts and they're there all day long and they're just waiting and waiting for the show. So we thought we'd set up a big tent, make it a very cool, very nice tailgate. If you want to come beforehand, seven or eight Trisha dishes and drinks and games, and we're going to do food demos. It's just going to be, it's kind of like the ultimate tailgate for about three hours before doors open to go in and see the stadium show. Man,
0: you guys are so giving to the fans. You know, the, you probably hear it some, but you don't get to hear people talk about you behind your back that often. But the the thing it, that said about both you and Garth, and I said it to your face a minute ago, is you guys are always great. And so we wonder, are you real? Like, are, are you, <laughs> what's under that skin? I have
1: to get back in my pod later. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Do you walk just <laughs> recharge, plug back in like the iPhone? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you guys are. And and I think that for a lot of artists, it's something to look at is that you guys really, you know, where my like grandma would say, where your bread is buttered. And I and I've learned from you guys too. And but I also know that my people got me here. I want to be doing this. I want to be doing the radio show. I want to be doing stand up on the road. If it weren't for the people, but you guys are superstars, and you still keep that as your number one. That's awesome to me.
1: Well, I think you definitely have to keep in mind that you don't get to go out there and do those shows if those people don't show up. You know that that doesn't that doesn't fly. You know I think there's a real realization of that. And I I'm in a relationship. I keep giving Garth credit, but I mean when I, my very first tour was opening for him in 1991. And it was like, it was like the way to be 101 with him. Cause he was, he was, he became a superstar. I mean, like no one has seen in country music. And I watched him helping roll up chords at loadout and being kind to every single person in his path. And I remember thinking, well, he's Garth Brooks, like he doesn't have to be nice and people won't. Nobody's going to say anything because he's the like he he's the star of the show. But the way he treated people was a lesson for me. And we both were raised by families who would not have tolerated us not being nice to people. But at the same time, you know, you got a hit record and people are opening the door for you and carrying your bags. I might have gone down the path of somehow in somewhere in my brain thinking I deserve that. But living with him and being around him was a great lesson to see to to remember who you are, always and no matter what happens to you. And I mean, I really do credit him with that because he, and it's genuine. You know, I, I've known him such a long time now, and I thought at some point the other shoe's got to drop. Like I think he's, I, I think he's a, he's a unicorn for sure. Like I, I keep thinking I'm going to see the other side, and he's just a good guy. He just is. And what mean, about even when he's sick I'm,
0: though? Is he a baby? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's total baby. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Total baby. He yes he's he's got a a cold he's like oh my god he's he's not a good patient just what I
0: figured I knew he's not perfect there's his weakness (laughs) all right let's be frank um, is out now and the 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 new country record which we haven't said a name of anything yet I don't know a name of anything yet don't
1: know the name yet I've got a couple ideas but I'll probably have one by the next let me toss one at you
0: let's be Trisha. Yeah. Hey, yeah. nice. See, I played it off. Yeah. Nice. Had way too much whiskey. I'll this, consider this whiskey that. As we're doing it. <laughs> well, listen, I've really enjoyed our talk. You know, I really enjoy you. Um, I,
1: you are a delight. You really are. I, I love this. It's like this time has gone really quickly. So we've I just been wanna... here
0: seven hours. It, really? It's already tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. it's, it's like we, when you start dating someone, you talk all through the night. That's what, or so that's I hear. A, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. You happens.
1: wouldn't know anything about I, that. i know but.
0: nothing about that. It's been so long. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's be frank. Really. Thank you and it, everybody check out Let's Be Frank and we'll just sit and wait sit on our hands until the, okay. the but, country and right I won't play it
1: for you early but I, I won't will bring there. it to you
0: the day of if you have a party I will not be there okay. we're gonna have to do the
1: release date in Nashville just so I can come play it for you that day it's gonna have to happen it's
0: so weird to have an artist play music for you though because I have to do this thing where you just bob your head and act like you're feeling it this, right. what, this what if is you're my,
1: not what do you do if you're not like what if you don't like thing. it same
0: thing you, you go into it the same way every time When they, this is me you ready I'm gonna act like I'm here yeah, okay. songs right now. All right. Mm. Mm. That's it. Oh, wow. good. Like, it's the you're same so thing. You're so busted. I'm going to watch you like a hawk
1: next time we get together and you're listening to my music. I got I this now. I won't. I won't listen to... Ask
0: Leslie. I won't <laughs> listen to a song with somebody in front of me.
1: Get out of your mind. So, as an artist, I go and sit with a publisher and a songwriter, and they play me their song that they poured their heart into, and I have to say face-to-face to them... Mm, I mean, that's just not for me.
0: Should I say that to you? If you play my record, <laughs> you know what, Trisha? just not just for me. Not,
1: I mean, it's great, but it's just not for me. You know, I like the it's,
0: old stuff. Trisha. You would kill me. It's really but that's hard. Your, that's your job to do but that. It's hard
1: to do. Yeah, I hate terrible. to, I hate to make people sad.
0: Yeah, me too. So uh, let me just say already, love every song you've, you're, you, you've made <laughs> and are going to make. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, Trisha, you're one episode 164. We'll see you guys next time. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecova's has first-wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: 18 plus.